podcast from Aberdeen Investment Trusts. Hello and welcome to today's podcast on the Dunedin Income Growth Investment Trust. I'm Cherry Raynard and with me today are the Trust Managers Ben Ritchie and Samantha Brownlee. We're here to chat through some of the key issues facing the UK stock market today and look at how that's influencing positioning on the trust. So Ben, if we could start with you. Um, The news has, of course, been dominated by the um, horrible events unfolding in Eastern Europe. What do you see as the major impacts for the UK economy? Clearly, it's been a lot lot going on. Uh, There's quite a lot going on before the Ukraine crisis developed. And I think in many ways, it it just accentuates uh, the challenges that were there before, really. So certainly, I think we can say that this is going to be even more inflationary and that inflation is likely to have longer duration as a result of the impact on primarily on commodity prices, but also on supply chain. So I think we can definitely say that. I think what we don't know yet is how that is going to impact on demand and what that means for, for economic growth. I think we can surmise that it's going to make that more challenging, but we don't, we don't know how that's going to uh, transmit through. Uh, and then I think it, it raises a number of challenges for both governments and uh, monetary policymakers in terms of how they respond to this, because I think traditionally you probably would have seen an easing bias from a monetary policy perspective, given where inflation is and there's the desire, I think, to normalise monetary policy that's become more difficult. And then from a fiscal perspective, you know, the government, again, have been looking to tighten uh, and looking looking to shore up public uh, finances. And again, you know, perhaps this is posing some challenges in the other direction. So I think it's a you know, it's a it's a very it's a very interesting situation from a market's perspective. It's obviously tragic from a from a human perspective, um, and I think you know there's there's an awful lot of things out there for us to be keeping our eye on. And I think unfortunately, when we when we wrap it all together, uh, I'm not sure that you know anyone can really have any great insight into how these big sort of macro thematic elements are going to play out. And and I think it does just bring us back down to to the companies and and hoping. Uh, as well as doing the best we can from an analytical perspective to invest in businesses that we think can can cope with what's going to be quite a challenging environment for all sorts of reasons and probably some reasons that we haven't managed to think of yet. So you know, we were fairly cautious coming into the year. Uh, this, for completely different reasons, makes us remain fairly cautious overall, I'd say. OK, thanks, Ben. And Sam, I mean, are, are there any areas of the portfolio where you have cause for concern or where you're, you know, keeping a particularly close eye on things? I think broadly speaking, we generally look at things um, with a healthy dose of of concern and scepticism. I think that's part of our job is to look out for these things. But having said that, when we do look across the portfolio, I think we are pleased to say that it's relatively balanced in terms of our exposures and where we sit is broadly the places where we want to be. We worry, obviously, as we've discussed about, you know, logistics, supply chains, working capital with cost inflation, um, the ability to, to price to offset that and maintain margins, cost efficiencies and other areas and ultimately how how demand w- will play out and whether or not we see, um, you know, that result in some kind of temporary or, or or longer kind of a recessionary environment. But when we think about the kind of companies that we invest in, we come back to the fundamentals of why we like them in the first place, which were, you know, structural demand is strong in their markets with, with growth. They have pricing power. 
Um, they have strong management teams. They have um, competitive, uh, sustainable competitive advantages, and they have appropriate balance sheets with good cash flows. So I think broadly speaking, when we step back and say, are we in the right kind of companies? I think I think that we are. We just have to continue to constantly kick the tires when we meet management teams and probe for uh, areas that, that do concern us and think about how how the management talks to us about that and how we put a skeptical eye over what they say and, and look through it th through that lens. But I think broadly speaking, we're happy with where we're sitting. Okay, thanks. And on a slightly more positive note, I mean, the, the latest economic data for the UK was was actually pretty good and showed, showed a strong rebound for the UK economy. Do any particular sectors or segments stand out, Ben? I think uh, you know, con consumption has rebounded faster than, than people have expected. Um, I think to some extent, you know, what's happened in the Ukraine does you know, maybe make some of the, the economic data look a little backward looking, really, in terms of what, what that means, what that means going forward uh, and some of the challenges that are, that are, that are going to be uh, that are going to be out there. You know, we, I think we think we have a reasonable balance of exposures across the across the portfolio. And I think the, the UK is doing OK, um, which, you know, at least has some momentum coming into an environment that's going to be that's going to be challenging. I think we you know, had already expected, and you know, we don't we don't have any sort of particularly anything particularly novel in this view. But it, clearly, we know that you know, with national insurance increases and you know, various other costs factors, from utility bills to various other things coming through, that that there was going to be um, some drag to consumption. You know, as we move through 2022, I guess you know, the impacts of Ukraine are only likely to intensify that element. And I think it will depend on, you know, a couple of offsets. Um, and, and I think it's always very difficult to see exactly how these things are going to play out. So I think it's, it's definitely right to be a little bit cautious. I think on the other hand, you know, there were reasonable reasons to be quite cautious on what was going to happen when furlough ended. And that actually seemed to be something that was navigated with a relatively modest degree of, of impact on the overall economy. So you know, always have to be a little cautious in how some of these things are going to, are going to play out. But we've been, you know, making some you know, selective additions where we think Valuations have come back a long way. So we've been adding to Persimmon, which has underperformed significantly, you know, the largest UK house builder. Um, I think that's a combination perhaps of some concerns over rising interest rates, uh, concerns over, over the impact of cladding on their business. But, you know, to our mind remains a good margin business, very, very strong balance sheet, very cash generative. You know, even if we do go into you know, a more challenging environment, they're probably likely to be able to uh, maybe not maintain the existing very, very high dividend, but at least continue to distribute quite a lot of cash back to investors. And, you know, over the long term, that seems like a, you know, a, a reasonable option for us amongst the things which we can put capital into from a high yielding perspective. Um, so that would be an example of, of one other area. And we've also been looking to try and pick up around the edges where we've seen um, some companies underperform quite sharply. So, been looking to increase our exposure to things like Aveva in industrial software that's been kind of caught up with the, the sell-off in kind of more expensive uh, companies that we've seen at the start of the year. So again, that seems like a, a stock that's uh, good to increase our exposure to um, uh, over time as well. And, and I think the other thing we've been doing, and this predates Ukraine, but I think it reflects a little bit of caution on our part, it's really just looking again to put capital back into companies where we, you know, as Sam was saying earlier, where we think there's you know, good visibility, strong pricing power, good margins, and, and should prove to be, 
you know, both resilient in a tough situation, but also able to make good progress in, a, in an okay one. So that would be companies like Relics, companies like Assura, and the owner of sort of GPs and primary care surgeries. So, you know, it's been a mix of things for us, looking to take advantage of some opportunities, and at the same time, you know, I think continuing to, I guess, kind of shore up the, the core of the portfolio and prepare for, you know, what, what might lay ahead. Ben mentions consumption there. I mean, if, if high inflation does prompt households to cut back in certain areas, do you think there are certain elements that are, that are more vulnerable than others? I mean, consumer discretionary and that sort of thing, you'd assume. I mean, is there any way you've, you've kind of backed away from as a result? Yeah, I mean, consumer discretionary would be kind of the, the the key one there that you would think as as consumers begin to feel the pinch more. And, you know, you can obviously see that they, they do, um, then they would cut back on certain kinds of, of, of spending. I don't think that we generally would have high exposure to those kinds of areas anyway. We're not under we're not material, we're quite neutral on, on consumer discretionary, but the, the names that we have within that space, you know, are, are the stronger kind of, of ones. As, as Ben mentioned, we added to persimmon as that weakened. So we picked up more of that and took advantage of, of kind of the market moves there. But there's other aspects of the market, which, you know, could continue to see tough aspects, but, but don't necessarily sit in consumer discretionary. And that's some of these things, the sector can, you know, categorization can feel quite arbitrary once you actually kind of dig into what the companies do. So the, on the, the, you know, the, the supermarkets, for example, you know, they're sitting in the staple side, they might see some weaknesses. We have exposure in kind of the staple side to to companies that have more pricing power, at, but also more stable kinds of demand. Azure is one of our biggest um, exposures there and spirits is a, is a growing category so if people cut back I still think they're going to uh, enjoy a drink and so the, those kind of markets are, are okay and then you know they can manage through uh, cost inflation because of the mix of their of their portfolio towards um, aged aged spirits so you know I, I don't think that we have necessarily cut back on on exposures because I don't think we had a lot of that going into it so it's more we look at what the market's doing and we take a considered approach we step back and we we apply our long-term process and and again go back to the fundamentals of the businesses and look for the, the strengths that we like and think is the market understanding that in the long run and can we um can we take advantage of that so I think that that's that's more broadly what we've done Ben, you talked a little bit about there uh, there about some of the things you've been doing on the trust this month. And is there anything else you'd highlight? Sort of new purchases, changes in gearing, and anything you've been selling and that sort of thing. I think it's uh, sort of picked up a couple of the things there, Terry, that we've been that we've been up to. I think um, you know we're continuing to look to try and take uh, advantage of where we do see. Um, some opportunities i'd say that's definitely a bit of what we're of what we're doing i think we're spending quite a lot of time making sure that the portfolio as best we can is going to be in robust shape if we do go into a more difficult environment so that's been quite a lot of our quite a lot of our thinking as well um the events in russia and the ukraine have, have certainly drawn our attention to a couple of holdings where they've got some some exposure so Coca-Cola Hellenic has got about 20% of its revenues coming from Russia and Ukraine. So that's clearly challenging for them. 
company like Total. Again, they've got quite a lot of revenues coming from Russia, potentially around 10%. So those are things which we need to be on top of and understanding the risks that sit there. So we've been pretty focused on that. And I think overall, I think, yes, I think it's just been time spent trying to make some, you know, where we do decide to do things to make some some meaningful differences to the portfolio. Again, keeping half an eye on the income account as well, looking to see if we can capture some, you know, some attractive, uh, some attractive dividend yields. That's that's certainly been something that we've been, we've been focused on. And and I think the other thing is continuing to, to concentrate the portfolio. So again, just asking ourselves, have we got the money and our best ideas? It sounds, it sounds obvious, but again, yeah, I think it's, it's very important that we are not, uh, uh, allowing ourselves to have you know too much capital tied up in, in in investments where we're we're relatively indifferent. So let's let's focus that that uh, on the areas where we think we can get the, the you know the best uh, the best returns over the over the midterm from our from our investments. As I say, that sounds that sounds fairly obvious, but it isn't always the case that you know we could be, you know you need to keep focused on being disciplined on that on that approach. So you know we're continuing to to look at some of the smaller holdings in the portfolio, asking ourselves. You know, are, are are they still ones we want to we want to hold and, and run with over the over the medium term? And if not, well, then we should be looking to looking to recycle capital elsewhere. But it's interesting. I mean, there's quite a lot of um, you know companies performing pretty well actually. So from an operational uh, and profit perspective, you know, generally speaking, you know, the portfolio is doing quite well. The, the first uh, sort of month or two of this year have been tough from a from a relative performance perspective. But I think in terms of the underlying performance of the portfolio's holdings generally doing quite well. And there haven't been any, there haven't been too many things that have been you know, particularly tricky, um, you know, perhaps some of the Russian stuff to one side. So, you know, overall, we feel pretty good. But as I say, it's really focusing in on, on just making sure that we're as, as happy as we can be with what we've got. OK, and you mentioned income there, Ben. Um, I wonder if you can give us a sort of digest of the income position in the, on the portfolio at the moment. Yeah, I mean, the income outlook for the for the trust looks looks pretty healthy. I mean, you know, we'll be reporting our full year results quite soon. You know, within that, we're certainly seeing you know earnings delivery ahead of our sort of internal expectations, really driven by a number of uh, of quite large, generous special distributions which we received during the year from the likes of Rio Tinto. So, you know, twenty twenty one, twenty two, the income out term has actually looked. Has actually come out quite a bit better than we had we had thought uh, earlier in the year. Certainly, you know, with the original sort of effects of COVID, and and as we move into this year, you know, we'll have a couple of those things that won't repeat. So we made some of the changes to the portfolio as a result of the SRI adoption. You know, we won't be picking up some of the special dividends which we got from the mining companies in last year, but still, I think the underlying prospects look pretty good, and you know, we're really targeting. You know, can we get the underlying portfolio growing its dividends, you know, in the sort of four to five percent range over time? Doesn't sound much, but that's more that'll be more than double what the long-term uh, growth rate on the market has been uh, over, you know, over the last ten years. So if we can get something like that going, that's a pretty healthy level. We think as we emerge through this year into next, that's the kind of you know underlying earnings growth rate that we can that we can get from the from the dividends and in, in the portfolio and that should set the trust up well to be able over the longer term anyway to be able to um you know focus on its mission of delivering you know real growth in dividends in the in the short term that's probably going to be a bit tricky given where rpi and cpi are likely to turn out uh in this very high inflationary environment um but over the over the mid to longer term i think we'd still be comfortable that the portfolio in the position it's in that can can deliver can deliver something you know, ahead of inflation as it has done, um, uh, you know, over the, over the long term. 
Sam, turning to you, I mean, we've talked about the consumer segment there. I wonder if we could zero in on those consumer holdings in the portfolio. I mean, it's as we've said, it's sort of an under pressure segment, but are there, are there defensive areas? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think, you know, our it is a big exposure I mean, discretionary and you put the, the kind of staples together. And we have certainly, as I mentioned before, Diageo, I think is quite a, a, a solid name um, from, from that perspective. We also have exposure to Unilever and we're actually, whilst we're actually underweight staples, if you break apart the sector and the market, almost 15% of the market in the all share, but 13% of that of that 15 is is in six names, two of which are tobacco companies, which whilst you might think of as defensive, you know, when we look at, you know, the portfolio and how we how our investment process works with a with a you know a quality lens, an income lens, but also a sustainability and ESG lens, you know, tobacco companies are not going to be where where we're going to be sitting. Um, so we have a, a you know solid exposure to what we think are the better businesses and and better combinations within within the market in that space. Um, and then we also have exposure to you would also think kind of almost consumer adjacent uh, these kind of thing with you have so we have an exposure to Glaxo Smithkline in the portfolio that has a consumer health business that they're they're looking to spin off in, in the summer. We have exposure to companies that do animal health, which again, you know, is about the consumer. But then when you're thinking about the companion animal market, that is, you know, a very, uh, a spend that I don't think a lot of pet owners think of as, as very discretionary. And that we also have an overweight to healthcare in general, which is, you know, a defensive kind of area. So, you know, I think our exposure in the consumer space is, is as we invest, would lend itself to being you know, a little bit more on the defensive side as well as that has comes with that income, which gives it a little bit of that protection at the same time. Now, the, the trust has an ESG focus, which which we've talked about it in previous podcasts. But the the oil, the rising oil price has obviously been, you know, the very public face of this crisis. Are there any areas of the portfolio that are being impacted by that? And I mean, Ben, you said you've moved away from mining, but um, does the trust still own any oil stocks? Yeah, so I think the the, the performance of the portfolio has sort of been affected by, I guess, the overall increase in, in commodity prices in a, in a negative way in the in the last part of our of our financial year. So you know, we don't have lots of exposure to that area for various reasons, down to the various pieces of our of our SRI approach, and and there are there are different reasons why different companies have been excluded can be around uh, corporate governance, can be about our own internal uh, view of, of the company's ESG risk management, can also be uh, around some of our, the screens which we deploy around the uh, exposure to uh, renewables and gas that we'd like to see from companies to be able to include them in the portfolio. So quite a lot of that segment has been excluded and those those, those companies by and large performed pretty well um, in recent times. So that's put a bit of pressure on the relative performance of the trust. In terms of our, our holdings on the other side, I mean, I guess the, 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 there's a big hit to that, I guess, has been you know, rising inflationary pressures, rising discount rates have put some pressure on some of the you know, higher valuation stocks which we have in the portfolio. So we've had you know, a number of companies where they've seen some quite chunky de-ratings de- um, over the last three or four months of 
our financial year to the end of January 22, and I guess continued a bit into, into, into February 22. So that's the sort of combination. So it's affecting not both, both what, we, what we don't own in terms of that performing well, and then also affecting uh, some of the things we, we do own um, and putting a bit of pressure on, on share prices. In terms of the impact on profitability, I think overall we feel pretty pretty relaxed about that. I think as Sam's talked about, you know, the margins in the, in the portfolio are good. We're very focused on pricing power, brand equity, cyclicality, all of those elements. So from a, the sort of impact of oil on company performance uh, you know, underlying, I think we're fairly, we're fairly relaxed about that. I think it's more the, the combination of impact on things we don't own and then on, 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 the, on the things we do own and the impact on multiples. But again, you know, we've seen a pretty big derating. Uh, we've seen sort of average multiples in the portfolio come back quite a long way. So we would suggest that, you know, we've seen at least the bulk of that, if not, if not all of it. In terms of our holdings, we do own one oil stock. We do own Total Energies in the portfolio. Um, it's an interesting uh, case study, I guess, in terms of, well, you know, how can you do that? In terms of our screens, you know, we don't explicitly say we won't uh, invest in oil companies. What we do say is we won't invest in uh, companies that get more than 10% of their revenues uh, from um, unconventional oil and gas. Uh, so in that basis, Total doesn't has never had uh, significant exposure to things like shale or, or tar sands. Uh, we also won't invest in companies who are investing uh, net new capex in those areas. So again, Total doesn't have exposure. We, 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 we it's not caught by that. Uh, and then we're looking for businesses where they're generating at least forty percent of their revenues in their oil and gas production businesses from natural gas and and renewables. And, and that's really the area where, where Total scores, scores well versus, versus uh, its, its peer group. I mean, we think it, depending on exactly how you've got the numbers, but it's got probably around um, 50% plus by volume of its, of its production is coming from gas. Uh, and by value, it's a little bit over 40%. And it's the 40% that we use as a, as a threshold. But I think it's also important to say that Total has also got some other some other assets as well, I think, that, that are worth considering. So it does have a very big uh, LNG business as well. It's going to be pretty critical in terms of, you know, at least transitioning the, uh, the sort of energy dynamic from, from fossil to renewable over time. Um, and then it also has a, a very sizable renewables business. So in terms of its um, installed base of renewables, it's got about 10 gigawatt hours of electricity production from renewables. You know, that's not a that's not an inconsiderable amount. In fact, it's not that much less than a company like Orsted has. I think Orsted's got about twelve. So you know, the size of Total's renewables business is actually is actually quite significant. Um, and when we look at the contribution to revenues that that makes, and then look at the contribution that they're that they're generating from natural gas, then when we put that all together, you know, it meets the it meets the, the threshold. Now, absolutely, I think it's one of the things where we also got to say, well, you know, it may meet the threshold, but does it meet the spirit of what we're of what we're trying to do, and I think you know we know that there's a there's an important role for energy companies in the energy transition, and we think that Total is a leader in that space. We certainly wouldn't uh, try to tell you that it was uh, one of the, the sort of a sustainable leader in an absolute sense, but we would very much see it as what we would call a sustainable improver. So we do think that there's you know, plenty of scope for Total to improve what it's doing, but we think it, it meets the threshold tests which we which we apply. Going forward, you know, we'll be engaging engaging with the company to you know, continue to push that agenda. Uh, and I think when we look at you know some of the sort of third party assessment of Total and how it how it's delivering, you know, if we look at things like the sort of transition pathway initiative, you know, they see Total as one of only three 
oil and gas companies globally, which they think are on track to sort of with a set of policies that can help meet the one and a half degree initiative. So, you know, Total within its industry, we see definitely as a leader within the market, we'd probably say, yes, actually it's average, but overall um, with, with scope to improve and play a bigger role. And then it's going to continue to be investing pretty substantially in renewables as well. So I think up to 20% of their CapEx is going to be going into that space from the middle of this decade. I think it's about 15% at the moment. So you know, we're going to be continuing to see strong growth on that part of their of their business as well. So you know, it, it's one of those ones where it's a slightly controversial holding perhaps, uh, but we think overall you know, it, it's justified both from an interpretation of the rules, but also from the, the important element it's going to play in terms of transition going forward. Great. Okay. Thank you, Ben. Um, and thank you, Sam, as well, for those insights today. You can find out more about the trust at www.dunedenincomegrowth.co.uk. And thank you to everyone for tuning in. This podcast is provided for general information only and assumes a certain level of knowledge of financial markets. It is provided for informational purposes only and should not be considered as an offer, investment recommendation or solicitation to deal in any of the investments or products mentioned herein and does not constitute investment research. The views in this podcast are those of the contributors at the time of publication and do not necessarily reflect those of Aberdeen. The companies discussed in this podcast have been selected for illustrative purposes only or to demonstrate our investment management style and not as an investment recommendation or indication of their future performance. The value of investments and the income from them can go down as well as up and investors may get back less than the amount invested. Past performance is not a guide to future returns, return projections or estimates and provide no guarantee of future results.